Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Art of War, part of the Frontline Gaming Network. It's your bird, the falcon. You can find me from 40kstats.com and the 40k Stats Center podcast, here to replace John Damaris, who is off fighting tigers, searching for turkey stuffing, doing something a little more important than recording this podcast for you folks. So they've brought me in as the special guest host. With me, we have your normal host with the most, Nick the Brown Magic Nanavati, former LVO winner. ITC winner and international man of mystery. How are you doing today, Nick? How are you doing, Falcon? Thank you for uh, joining us today. Really big help stepping in for us. And the kind words, as always. I do try to prestige myself on being a man of mystery. Well, you know, I, I can't really help myself. I am always feel wondrous when I'm in such, like, welcoming company as yourself and really any of the guys that I get to talk to over there. Um, on the show this week, we're also bringing you the glorious Malik, the mean machine, Amin Rubio, winner of the recent Stay Safe and Play GT. Um, you may have heard of Malik before. He's won a number of events in the last couple of years. He was extra close to being best in Ari in 2018 uh, in the ITC. Um, which was quite the feat, given that that was when they were still one of the strongest armies in the game. Um, he's won. He he made the Caladius Grav Tank uh, something that people started talking about. He was the the Grav Tank hipster, as it were, um, and just like an overall awesome Latin dancer dude. How are you doing, bud? Oh, I'm great, Falcon. How are you? What an intro. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm living the dream, guys. This is the dream. There's nothing more that I want to do than talk about 40k with people that know about it more than I do. I'm not sure about that, to be honest with you, but uh, I'll certainly give it a go. (laughs) Awesome. Well, for those of you who haven't heard of Malik, uh, aside from Falcon's glowing review, Malik is over on the UK side of things, so that may be why, but he is one of the top-rated players out there, uh, consistently threatening to take down some big GTs, and he's taken down quite a few himself. So, uh, Malik, thanks for coming on. Anything you want to say? No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Um, great podcast. Um, it's just so good to be able to talk to you guys about 40k. Uh, obviously, Nick, you, you've you've won it all. Uh, so just great to be able to share some thoughts. Of course. No, uh, you and I actually disagree on a lot of stuff uh, fundamentally on how to write 40k lists and whatnot. So <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this episode because I, I might try to learn something here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to mention the, the European math hammer slurs that I get from <laughs> Nick every other message, uh, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. Of course. So uh, you just had a really, what I would call a jankier list, which does me a little bit of proud, with uh, Harlequins and Eldar bringing up a GT in the Space Marine meta over in the UK. What's that like? Oh, totally. It was, it, do you know what? First and foremost, it was just so much fun to get back to Eldar. Uh, so for those of you that don't know me, I'm actually just a massive Eldar geek and fan. Uh, it has always been my army, and uh, it was a bit heartbreaking, actually, when kind of the meta took me and forced me to play something a little bit different. So uh, as much as I enjoyed the Caladiuses, it, it did hurt me putting away the Eldar. So it was just so nice to to kind of play the Elves again. Um, and uh, it was a great tournament, to be honest with you, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but um, it's, it's probably the last one we're going to be able to host for a little while. 
So it was just so nice to be able to get out there. Um, and uh, what a field it was, actually, for, for a small tournament. Uh, it was yeah. actually insane. We had some of the best players in the UK there. So feeling yeah, Why don't good. you walk us through a couple of names that were there? I, you sent me the list and I was like blown away. Oh, man. It was it was a bit of a who's who. I, I think of the last couple of years, in fact, Falcon probably correct me, that we were probably missing kind of no more than five of all the major winners that has been here around the UK. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. But we had like uh, the man himself, Mr. Manny Chima, he was there. Alex Harrison, Josh Roberts, uh, kind of ex-captain of England. Um, you had Mike Porter there, Mark Cro- Crumbleholm. Um, and then, of course, some of my teammates as well who are absolute monsters. So uh, you can imagine what testing days is like at our house. So we had uh, Mr. Vic Vijay. Um, so he was cleaning up, obviously, at the start of the season before kind of COVID hit, uh, winning it all. Um, and Conrad, um, winner of the Invitational and the last LGT over here. Uh, but also he, he took down a major just, just before we um, kind of started to get into lockdown so the northeast open so just an absolutely insane field and to be honest with you that's that's just some names like uh even deeper down the field you just got people that have won big things before solid competent players um like you know a regular tournament you've probably got 20 30 lists there that you know are people that enjoy a different side of the hobby so uh, it's probably going to be a little bit of a mismatch but just kind of like all kind of probably 24 out of 28 lists were just horror shows that uh, you knew you were going to have to fight through. So um, uh, really interesting experience. You know, like I've, I've been to tough fields before. We've got some some difficult tournaments over here in the UK, uh, but I've never seen a field like that in a 28-man tournament. That was madness. Yeah, it was really exciting. And usually we don't have 28-man tournaments featured on Art of War, but this one caught my eye just because how tough it was. So uh if your list could survive that, then that is meta enough for me. Speaking of which, Malik, why don't you break down what your list exactly was for us? Totally, totally. So um, it was actually not a Malik-type list. So uh, if you've seen not my list before... Very proud of you. <laughs> I, do, I do enjoy the consistency. I do enjoy knowing exactly the output of my list. And, uh, you know, usually in blocks of threes, worst case scenario twos, um, and usually the same loadout and everything. So... Uh, this was a little bit of madness. So it was primarily Harlequins, but totally different to kind of the meta that's going around. So uh, I wasn't taking boats and fusions um, or soaring spite. So I was taking foot Harlequins and they were backed up with a little Eldar detachment uh, just to get Ivrain back out there, you know, uh, relive her glory days. So I'll take you through all the detail in a minute. But the long and the short of it was it was 40 Harlequins with the support characters, 10 Harlequin bikes, and then a blob of 20 Guardians and their platforms and two Psychers in the Eldar detachment. So uh, a Farsi and Ivrain. So um, should I go through line by line now? Just a, a little yeah, bit if deeper. you could, just line by line, like literally read it off to us. Totally. So um, we had a, a Harlequin Battalion, which is obviously the absolute core of the list. Um, and that was led by a Shadow Seer who took the pivotal role um, so that she could also take the minus six inch uh, to all incoming fire uh, kind of ability. Um, so I think it's Veil of Illusion, it's called. Um, I may be wrong. <laughs> Forgive no, me if I right. do get anything wrong. No, and then um, we had... Two, the two of us, one of us knows how to play Harlequins. <laughs> Surely you'd hope so. <laughs> and then we had um, a, a troop master, uh, the, the very typical Twilight Fang murder master, as he's sometimes called, or Fang master. Um, and again, he took also a pivotal role to uh, take darkness bites so that he would always be doing two mortal wounds uh, every time he fought. 
Um, so a bit of a beat stick and, of course, like the absolute core of the army. So we'll get into it deeper, but the troop masters is actually what makes uh, Harlequins tick. Um, and then we had five units as of uh, Harlequins. Five units, did I say that right? Yeah, five units yeah, five. of Harlequins. So three nine-man units that were identical. So they consisted of eight players, four with uh, caresses and four with Harlequin kisses, which is really, really different to how I'd normally play. It's probably different how to a lot of people loading uh, Harlequins in that uh, you usually see kind of the same weapon loadout. Um, there's a lot of argument for the embraces. And I think you and I have talked about this before in, in separate groups. I will say you've won me over on the caresses. Oh, it's, it's caress and kiss all the way. So they're the, they're the absolute core of the list. They're the damage dealers. They're the scorers. They're the objective holders. They do everything. Um, and then two smaller units of Harlequins, and I'll tell you where I got to this. So a seven-man unit with a, a bit of a weird loadout with um, three kisses and two caresses, I believe, and two Harlequin blades. I love uh, seeing like units like seven-man with like weird weapons and the nine-mans with weird weapons because it's like – how much testing has gone into figuring out this is the this is the right <laughs> path? Like, I'm so curious to see your process here. Oh, do you know what? I'd, I'd love to tell people that, like, you know, it is a really like clever math thing. But the way I build lists is I always put too much into them, and then I have to try and scale it back ever so slightly. So, like, I've written before all about kind of adding threat saturation and you know creating your lists all around threat saturation. But I literally do that. So I'll write two and a half thousand points. And then, like, begrudgingly <laughs> remove things uh, to the point, like, that little seven-man unit was what I had to do to be able to keep some platforms in. Yeah. So <laughs> a, a weird little seven-man unit. And then finally, just a, a five-man utility unit. So just five Harlequin troop, uh, absolutely naked. So with Harlequin blades. And they yeah. were just there, just doing the business, holding a backfield objective or going up and doing scramblers, just being a nuisance. You know, they're an absolute throwaway unit. Um, and then uh, 10 Skyweaver jet bikes with the Zephyr Glaives. Um, so two five-man units, um, obvious reasons why five-man, wanting to avoid, obviously, the blast penalties with Inceptors and uh, the in, the, in the meta and the coherency rules, correct. So um, that was the absolute core of the army. Um, we'll get into tactics in a minute, but the troops were definitely the most important bit uh, one death jester as well forgive me um so one death jester with ignore overwatch uh, kind of ability um so just a little bit of extra utility but uh, again most importantly no solitaire but we'll talk about that controversial thing in harlequins but no solitaire cool yeah and then uh, what was that frozen stars for the whole thing frozen stars yeah absolutely so just sneaking in that extra attack um, or that plus one to wound where it was relevant. Um, brute force efficiency one. <laughs> absolutely. Just do the damage, do the damage, and then think about scoring later. Although it, it didn't play that way, to be honest. <laughs> I was going to say, if that's how it played, we need to have a talk right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then, what about um, the Eldar part? Totally. So just a, a little Eldar patrol. Uh, so uh, it was a mixed detachment, basically taking um, enhanced shurikens and hail of doom. So uh, basically extra range and AP minus one on shuriken weapons. Um, and that was led by a Farseer on a jet bike, 20 guardians with two platforms with shuriken cannons and Ivrain. Uh So uh, just snuck in there, not a Yunari detachment, but she's just in there kind of helping out. And that was it. That was the, the whole of the list. 
Awesome. So this looks very unlike every Harlequin list I've ever written or that I've seen in the in the prominent meta. Most of them are designed around uh, Star Weavers in whether Soaring Spider, uh, uh, Frozen Stars. I think that's controversial. Um, but you're running a lot more foot stuff, and then the Eldar portion is something I've never seen before in the Harlequin army. So, just how does this army play on the table? What made you try this style? Totally. So, uh, we've all kind of started to come to terms with, or I've had to come to terms with, those of you guys in the US probably already played this way, that uh, I have to score and I have to win the mission uh, <laughs> to win in ninth. Crazy concept. What? <laughs> it, it's Whoa, a problem. For slow me. down. Slow down. What do you have <laughs> Listen, uh, I have played all my career. And I like to say successfully so in just kill the kill the opponent, worry about scoring in turns three, four, and five, or later on in the game. Uh, but apparently that's not a thing anymore. Uh, GW decided that I had to kind of use my brain and, and play the game. Um, so I started focusing a little bit on, on kind of what I wanted to do scoring. And uh, the list is built a lot around giving itself some easy and some guaranteed secondaries and of course denying the opponent some easy secondaries so the first question i get straight away is why are you not using more five-man units you know why are you risking obviously blast weapons getting additional or the coherency problems you get with you know six plus units well i don't want to give grind them down away so uh, if you want to kind of take that, you're going to have to shoot through nine-man unit of Harlequins, which has a four-up invulnerable. They're going to be sitting in a minus one to wound and minus six-inch range aura, so come at me with that. There's no vehicles, so I don't give away any kind of bring it down. Um, or I think actually some of the new marine uh, secondaries as well, which we'll talk about later, but um, it doesn't give away any secondaries in terms of my own list. You're going to have to pick your secondaries based on the mission and your own list, so there's no easy secondaries. And then, of course, there's two secondaries that I can almost always pick and guarantee good scores on. So um, I wanted to be able to take whilst we stand, we fight as a secondary every single game. And that would define in a minute why we talk about the Guardians. So um, I looked and I, um, as we were playing, there was always a third secondary, which I seemed to score low on in terms of all my testing. It was usually because I was kind of relying on having to do something with my opponent's army, either kill their vehicles or take grinding down myself. Whereas I wanted just a guaranteed two that I could do because Scramblers was always an easy third. So whilst we stand, we fight absolute key secondary, took it pretty much every game or every game and actually scored 15 on it throughout the whole tournament. And then engaging all fronts for something as quick as Harlequins and as mobile is obviously just a really easy secondary that you're going to be able to score anywhere between 10 to, to 15 on just because of their sheer speed. And then that kind of gave me the, the choice of the third, depending on what missions. Obviously, some of the mission secondaries are auto-take. Um, some of them you need to think about, or depending on what my opponent was running. So obviously, if they had a lot of vehicles, I'd be able to take bring it down. If they had easy targets, grind them down was a, a, a possibility. Or, of course, there was always scramblers, uh, which is not really actually one I love, even though it's obviously become super popular, um, because I don't really enjoy too many things that control my movement phase. Um, and certainly I don't enjoy having to give away units kind of uh, abilities or their shooting or combat threat for a turn because there isn't really any redundancy built into the list other than the five-man 
um, Harlequin troop. So um, that was kind of where I built it all around. You know, I'm, I'm grateful and I'm thankful that uh, I get to test against some of the most savage and brutal players in the UK. Uh, so those that you don't know, uh, Mr. Alex Petford and I, we, we live together. So I get to get beat up by the worst death guard lists you can imagine. Uh, so, and uh, we've got Marines and Chaos and all, all the different things. So kind of that's what the the this design was around. So the 20-man unit, just to, to answer your initial question, I think, was all around getting whilst we stand. So I've been telling you that the nine-man Harlequin units had to go and fight and do a job and disturb the opponent's objectives and kill their main threats. Um, and what it meant is after turn two or turn three, the characters at the back, the little mortal wound battery that is the Shadow Seer, the Far Seer, and Evrain, would become exposed. And I didn't want to give away any of my whilst we stand points. So I basically relied on the fact that turn two, I could always drop 20 bodies in between my characters and whatever was threatening them. And with Celestial Shield, which is also a really key stratagem in the Craft World book, um, I would put 24 up in one bodies uh, that somebody had to chew through before they could get anywhere near my characters. And that's if somehow they'd managed to deal with the 35 odd Harlequins that had gone in their face. And then really key as well. So one of the reasons for choosing Ivrain is that it meant my third whilst we stand was not the troop master. So actually he was free to go forward with his 35 odd troop and just go do as much damage as he could. And if he died, then he died and it wasn't a worry. That's um, I want to say that's a fascinating bit of tech because I think a lot of people that looked at your list would have seen that Guardian blob and thought this is meant for damage output because that's what that was in 8th edition, right? You would often see that drop down buffed all to the nines to take down a key unit. So it's it's very interesting to hear that uh, that side of play where this is a, a purely defensive unit now to protect those characters. I love that. I'm also, I don't want to get too specific into matchups, but I always found the Guardian Blob is a tremendous tool for defensively keeping characters alive, but it's just a little bit vulnerable nowadays because combat, the board is shorter, people are taking more close combat mixed list approaches, and you can't use Celestial Shield for the 4-up invul in close combat, so someone gets into you with like Blade Guard or something, that's it, no more Guardians, and then your character's just exposed. Was that not a threat for you? So the, the thing is that I'm I'm the one providing the combat threat. So Blade Guard are obviously really difficult for, for Eldar to shift in general, but they were never really at a point where somebody could just go into them clean without having gone through the Harlequins first. Um, so not many things have the speed to kind of get around the 30-man Harlequin blobs that were coming towards them first. Um, and ultimately, even a unit of Blade Guard, so I, I don't mind losing my Harlequin blob, uh, but one single unit's probably not going to have enough attacks to kill them in, in one blow. Um, and the important thing was that you would just never be able to shoot the characters. So, you know, that there was always three Guardians left standing uh, to shoot the characters. Because, you know, once the Blade Guard were done chopping up the Guardians, they were then taking the six smites off the Mortal Wound battery. Um, and see what was left after. And that's if they'd managed to get through kind of all of the Harlequins. So um, definitely defensive tech. And actually, it, it's really telling that it was defensive tech because I started with martial citizenry, which was all around being able to reroll once. Um, and actually, by the end, I took the extra range um, because I was finding myself having to deploy my guardians a little bit too aggressively because I wanted to make best use of the kind of shuriken when they when they came down where the extra range let me use them a little bit more defensively obviously the characters were smiting from 18 inches with the guardians able to shoot from 16 inches away 
So it's a really nice synergy because you're still within, you know, range to, to use Lookout Sir. Um, but also it stopped actually um, potentially people deep striking a big blob of something. So uh, as, as weird as it sounds, and we'll talk about it, but like 20 blood letters or some other utility unit that's coming out of deep strike had to kind of weather the, the, the threat of forewarned um, that old stratagem that nobody has seen in the game since Yanari got killed. But that's the same stratagem that you used to see farces next to a unit of dark reapers shooting anything that came out of deep strike. Um, so that did enough to just uh, kind of scare people away from deep striking anything near my little character blob. I like that piece of tech a lot. And like you said, the Harlequin synergize it really well. Almost like you're making your opponent deal with you in waves. First, like the Skyweavers, then the troops, then the Guardians. And by that time, the game's kind of over. They, You've been disrupting their primary scores. And your secondaries, like you said, kind of happen irrespective of what your opponent's doing to your army. It's all stuff you can do on your own. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, it's a more than fair assessment. Um, and actually, we, again, we'll talk, we'll talk about it more. And obviously, you and I have been talking about this, but I use the Harlequins really aggressively. Like, uh, and obviously, they're, they're, they're absolute glass cannons, but um, I just barreled them forward uh, and made my opponent just have horrible decisions to make the whole so way let's through. Let's talk about that. Because, like, you and I have talked about this, like you said, and I, I'm still at a loss. Like, how do you just run 35 ish Harlequin troops across the table at your opponent? They're tough for what they are. That uh, minus one to wound war and minus six strange does go a long way. Four up will stock isn't bad, but um, it's not that hard to kill that many Harlequins. Like, how do they get there? No, so you, you mentioned it uh, first. So, you know, the boards are much smaller. So with 8-inch plus a D6 and the threat of a double move from Twilight Pathways, they, they do get to the mid-table immediately after turn one. Um, and it also is really dependent on the tournament you're playing. So Glass Hammer, where we were playing, uh, obviously great competitive setup meant that you've got plenty of loss block uh, or actually... Uh, a big forest in the middle of the table. So not only were you trying to shoot through um, kind of minus six inch range and minus one to wound, you were probably trying to shoot through minus one to hit as well. And if you were trying to shoot me from range, there's a very good chance that you do not have the output to kill even one Harlequin nine man unit in one go. If you think of, you know, the high rate of fire weapons that are in the game, so a heavy burst cannon or, um, you know, a Gatling cannon on a knight, right? So they've got big range and uh, a big amount of shots, 12 shots. Well, you know, even if you they hit and wounded with everything, which is obviously not going to happen, but if they did, your four-up save should mean that, you know, you lose uh, six dudes. That's not a whole squad. Um, so there isn't anything that is that threatening from range into those size units, but here was the really important thing because of the minus six inch range. If you did want to do some damage to me, that was okay. And you could do it if you chose to, but it meant you had to be really quite close to me. And the following turn, you had to pay for that. You had to pay for that because the rest of the Harlequins were coming at you and you had to take the smites. Um, and there was no way around that. So that's kind of what it was designed around. Um, but also it's just how many turns could you fight off me taking the middle objectives or potentially your objectives? Because I was being particularly aggressive with the bikes as well where I needed to. Um, and they take some shifting with all the trickery they've got. So obviously if you're going to go into combat with them, you need to fight them first or else they're going to hit and jump out. I'm, I'm going to wrap stuff. I'm going to double move stuff. So it's just going to be a nuisance the whole time. And, you know, if you really need to, I didn't use this strat much, but you can put obviously those bikes onto three up in buns and then they take a lot of shifting. 
Um, so that's kind of how the list was, was designed to be very aggressive. Very often it was quite funny. You just see the little five man Harlequin unit and a death jester sitting on the backfield objective whilst the rest of the whole army <laughs> just went forward. Uh, so that little guy probably scored, uh, you know, at least, at least 25 uh, points a turn just from sitting on his backfield objective. Um, but he did that. I'm proud of that guy. Now it does make a lot of sense. It's that threat overload you're talking about, hitting your army in waves and kind of playing your respect of your opponent. And I love the synergy of, of the range brackets you're playing with. That minus six inch range making them get closer. Your 16 inch guardian shurikens, your 18 inch smites. It's really, it's really quite smart. The just the way you're manipulating this the mid range game that we're playing in 40k these days with that range bracket. Um, I do something similar all the time. Like I find the minus six inch range tremendously helpful versus things like aggressors or inceptors with plasma and these very common powerful units we're taking. So, it, and like you said, the ones that do have high rate of fire from far away, you know, if you're shooting through a forest, minus one to wound, four up in vol, you don't kill that many Harlequins. You mm-hmm. kill three or four. It seems like you kill a lot, but it's just there are too many hoops to jump through. Totally. And the one thing that I always struggled with um, was Harlequin close combat weapons, whether to put them on or not to put them on, how many to put on. Um, and it's actually against kind of my nature or my initial thought to put eight Harlequin close combat weapons on nine man units. So there was always the redundancy of one. There was always one just carrying a blade. But the vibe was that if you did kill the three or four, a little five man unit that was fully tooled up is still big enough and strong enough to go kill something of note. Um, and actually really, really came up trumps. We'll talk about matchups in a, in a while, but came up trumps in a really key game because the five-man unit was still tooled up. Whereas if if that had not been a nine-man unit, if that had been a five-man unit, it would have been killed or decimated in the combat that it needed to do some damage on. Right. So um, I think a lot of people get lost in the sauce with all the different variations of Harlequins, like AP3, D3 damage, but AP1, strength five. AP2, there's just granularity between every decision point here. What made you go with your split between kisses and caresses, and why is this the why is this the way you think? Ah, oh, totally. That's that's so <laughs> this is where we get into uh, our European style where it is all about the maths, right? Um, so if you do the maths, uh the kiss and the caress will kind of stack up favorably against each other in an even amount of matches, you know? Uh, if you're going to go fight Nerglings, you want Kisses. If you're going to go fight Marines, it's pretty much the same. Caress versus um, versus uh, Kiss or Embrace, both. Um, so the Embrace was the easy one to rule out because Custodes are really the only matchup that you wanted that in. Uh, obviously, that might change now in the face of uh, Deathwing Knights and... Uh, Gravis armor that wants to be plus one to save. Um, so the other two basically had an even amount of matchups uh, that they wanted to be in. So I kind of just took the easy road and said, well, I'll just have half and half. Um, and what I really wanted was to make sure that they were on every unit so that you couldn't just kite the unit you didn't like. So imagine I had a whole unit of kisses and a whole unit of caresses and you know your army was vulnerable to the kisses. I wanted to make sure you couldn't just focus that down or avoid that because every single one of the squads was carrying enough. And that is also what defined Frozen Stars, because I wanted to make sure that I always had enough attacks with the right weapon choice. Uh, So obviously I would remove, depending on what was favorable. Uh, So it meant you could still be taking, you know, four Harlequins, even if you'd killed half the squad that had kisses, uh, with five attacks each, which is just an insane amount of damage. That is 
amazing. I love the amount of thought you're putting into this. And it's something we often hear when we're talking to these competitive players where they're, they'll look at lists, they'll say, okay, well, that's a threat to me. I need to delete it right away. But by spreading out these weapons, you're forcing them into these very poor decisions where they can't. Um, they know that at some point they're going to have to deal with one of those quote-unquote scarier units. Um, before we get going a little deeper into this, let's take a quick uh, pause for a word from our sponsors. And we're back with Malik, the Mean Machine Rubio, and Nick Nanavati talking Harlequins, talking Eldari. Where were we, guys? So uh, we were just talking about Malik's weapon choice in Loda, and I thought it was uh, really genius, actually. He's basically taking a split 50-50 between kisses and caresses uh, amongst all of his units. And what I love about it is that in Malik's list, he's kind of using Harlequins to, like, threat overload. Like, I have 35 Harlequin troops across five units for them do damage. You kill one unit, the next two or three got their back. Whereas in like a different style of Harlequin, where you only have one or two larger units, like what I personally run, I often specialize in one unit gets all the kisses, one unit gets all the caresses, something like that. And then I can make sure the unit I want in that list, I just need to protect it and make it make sure when it goes in, it goes hard. Like if I'm fighting nerdlings, I want the kisses, I'm going to protect that one and then put all the buffs in it and send it on a mission. That works when you're running one or one or two units you want them specialized and use it as a tool just protect your tool and Malik's list they're there to die in a way they're getting thrown around the table scoring objectives and killing the opponent putting pressure on them so you need that redundancy otherwise your opponent will just scalpel out the one that is bad for him totally and look uh, truth be told the other bit of the list was um you know i'm not silly enough to turn up to a tournament and not cover some of the weakness so i knew the weapon choice uh meant i had a vulnerability to custodes because of their ability to ignore ap minus one and minus two on the terminators um and that's what actually prompted again as well as the secondaries uh the mass psychers um so obviously the good custode lists uh, focus on the ability to to put an Alaris Terminator or an Aklon Terminator unit in front of you, but it is only one unit. And even though they've got you know some some uh, protection against mortal wounds from Psychic, um, you know you can do enough damage with the equivalent of six smites uh, to be able to really cripple the unit. Mm -hmm. I I love that tech piece. I think it's one that I personally have been sleeping on. I, I know Eldar can do a smite spam between Cat Lady and Executioner and all that. Um, it's just a lot of kind of out of the way points, but in your list, you design a secondary around it. You're making all these psychers become all we see we fight. So it's not just, you're paying a premium to get some smites in your list. You're paying a premium to get a secondary and some smites in your list, which is a much easier pill to swallow. Walk us through like what those psychers actually did for you. If you could. Oh, they, they just tore chunks out of, of people quite regularly. Um, you know, people just underestimate and have forgotten the damage that kind of the mortal wound spam does. Uh, because, you know, it's been a long while since, you know, we had obviously chaos spamming the mortal wound battery, the thousand sun mortal wound battery. Um, but, you know, like people are playing obviously defilers and plague West crawlers and they put, you know, something in front of you expecting you to really have to pour your whole army into it uh, and don't realize you're going to tear two thirds out of it just in psychic powers alone. And of course, there is some utility to, to the psychers that are there. So, um, you know, the Shadow Seer does have Twilight Pathways. So, um, you know, she can double move a unit, but if not, she's just taking two mortal wounds. But um, I'd, I'd say that 
relatively comfortably in most games, uh, the psychers actually took their points back in Mortal Wounds because of the meta, right? You know, when you're talking about having eradicators and the likes in front of you, every single one that they kill is 40 points. So, you know, Executioner's Smite alone is usually going to kill an eradicator and a half. So, um, you know, the Farseer in two turns has taken his points back. So definitely there to, to score my 15 points. Um, yeah, it's but, a beautiful meta choice. Like in a more horde meta, I could see this like, yeah, I might need to smite some orcs. But right now, like, yeah, I'm going to smite some blade card and eradicators. Exactly that. You, you know, bang on. Yeah, nail on the head. Um, and then also the, the important thing was um, it meant I had a threat going backwards, which is a really weird thing to say. But for example, uh, my army kind of points in one direction and goes uh, so I've told you that I move into my opponent's side, I, I get on his objectives, I play disruption, I try to be a nuisance, and then somebody drops in scepters behind me. And all of a sudden, the Harlequins are too far to come back and deal with them. Now, my characters were all wrapped up in their Guardian bombs, so they're okay, but there's now in scepters behind me, and my Guardians are kind of a bit damaged, probably, you know, very damaged. All of a sudden, six smites going backwards still takes out the core of a three-man in scepter unit um so they they did a lot of lot of work uh they never got into combat uh, i kind of hoped one day i'd be able to get Ivrain into combat and you know see what she can do uh, <laughs> it's actually not bad at it i like getting her in combat it's like oh she pokes something exactly <laughs> I, I gave her the spell the the yanari doom as well hoping that you know one day i'd get to cast it but uh oh, she did no such thing uh but she <laughs> did she did heroically deny uh big bird uh the new big bird uh in a really important spell actually in the in game five so uh go with rain uh plus oh, you one. gotta tell the story what happened here ah uh, so um game five I, I was playing vince and you know the lord of change is it the lord of change yeah the lord of change that's running around that's got a three up in bun that you can't do anything to so you just you just need to ignore him all game and just let him do whatever he wants um and he it was, it was a bit of a desperation play but like uh, it could have been a really damaging play so uh, he's got that spell where you know if he's close enough he'll do mortal wounds and he'll do mortal wounds to everything that's nearby yeah infernal gateway that's it and obviously like mortal wounds is what you don't want in harlequins you know you're all you're ready to to make sure people have to shoot through all your debuffs and then shoot through a four up in bun yeah, when they can uh, just so, smite in 20-point Harlequins, go poof. It doesn't feel good. It, it does not. So, uh, yeah, he was all ready to do that and to just tear a big chunk and a big hole in the middle of my army. Uh, I think he rolled, like, an 11 um, with the plus two. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and Evraden, of course, just just showed up, just showed up and, and rolled. Actually, in fairness, she did it naturally. She rolled the double six. Uh, <laughs> so you can imagine vince is a teammate of mine actually and you know he was um he was cat set to, to, just, to save her cat yeah. yeah make make a little little comeback but uh uh rain said no uh and then he, just for good measure he then smited on something smaller uh he smited right after that and she denied that as well so or, or the fast <laughs> out of here 300 <laughs> point just, chicken i'm not here for this cats yeah, eat it, chickens <laughs> yeah so um yeah it was it was absolute comedy Love it. All right. So one thing that strikes me interesting about your list is that you have taken a patrol of uh, Eldar, of course. So there's a lot of command points you're leaving on table. And I personally find when I'm doing majority Harlequins, I need every command point I can possibly get my hands on. My strats are amazing. So in your list, how did you manage your command points and what did you typically spend them on? 
Totally. I've actually found command points to be okay. I've not been too command point poor. Um, I do have Player of the Twilight as well, so I've got uh, a few that I might farm or sneak off. Of there are two types well. of people in this world: people who get value out of Player of Twilight and <laughs> not of Adi. <laughs> uh, listen, I, I was in that place for a long while as well until somebody reminded me that it's my opponent's strats as well. Because I actually, I'm pretty sure yeah. I spent a month playing it only on my own. <laughs> um, so there's there's a few there, but um, the difference being uh, exactly like I said is that I don't care if a unit dies. So I'm not going to pour four CP to interrupt and jump back out on every single unit every single time uh, to play overly tricksy. So uh, they're there to go do damage. So, you know, often I'm going to pay two CP to make them extra damage or plus one to wound, depending on what they're going at. And that's it, you know. Really? Uh, so you're not putting the defensive buffs on like plus one invul or lightning fast or interrupt then leave that two four cp combo so i pretty much and I, I mentioned it at the start i said that you can do it throughout that whole tournament through five games five turns each each game i didn't play the three up in one once wow. uh, not i once. usually use it once per game i'd say and then oftentimes i'd say about half the time i use it i'm like why did i spend this command point well that's exactly that you know like i'm, I'm a big advocate you'll see me in every chat saying that you know um lightning fast reflexes is a terrible strategy that you should never use I use uh, it so rarely. It's, uh, the three pin was only one CP. It's a bit easier to just do. Exactly that. But it's one CP that might be the difference when you regain one at the start of your turn to give you two CP to be able to do plus one damage. Um, and that's that's more, more important. Or it's the one CP that I need to save for Celestial Shield, which means in the late game when everybody else is struggling, having just fought 40 Harlequins and 10 bikes then all of a sudden they've got to try and chew through 20 guardians. So um, I was conservative in, in, in that vein, but um, I was just I spending it on the things that did the damage that was important. So, for example, you know, if, if a unit of bikes went into Gravis armor, then it was all about the plus one damage um, because we know how important damage three is in, in these days. Um, and I have to say that was probably one of the reasons as well for choosing Frozen Stars. So it's actually not the troops because the troops have enough attacks on their own. So, you know, four attacks. That's typically piece. what I find too, which is why I offer Sparring Spite. But that's a different build with vehicles, of course. Totally. It's, it's to be able to give the bikes an actual credible combat threat um, so that they've got enough attacks when they go in. Uh, so, um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how I use my, my stratagems. I actually used one that I didn't expect to use as often as I did, which was the Auto Advance 6. I use that so often with troops. It's uh, just like, you want to go places. <laughs> yeah, it's, people just don't see it coming as well, you know? Like, obviously you can get lucky and throw a 6 on the, on the roll, but just having this Harlequin unit, which in my case is a 9-man murder unit, be able to move 14 inches guaranteed... Uh, or potentially, you know, double move, so on and so forth. Um, and that was probably a, a one little key bit I missed. I took the Shadow Stone on my Shadows here, um, and there is some really good relics. Um, that, That's you know, my next question was going to be, what relics do you buy and why? Yeah, well, let's just get straight into it. So obviously we know that kind of Domino Shroud is out there, which is such a really nice utility. Domino Shroud. I, uh, you know, I watched you use it on, on the Twitch game just, just the other day. Um, but uh, I found basically that I was wanting to stretch my Harlequins, especially in deployment, but in turn one and two, when I first moved out, you know, I was wanting them to start threatening all corners of the board from the middle. Uh, and I didn't want to be stuck within six inches of that shadow seer. So I also realized how more, much more difficult it is these days to keep your characters safe. So obviously, you know, the change to look out, sir, 
So if I needed to stay within three inches of a troop, or maybe within three inches of two, just to not give myself, you know, too much of a, a, a vulnerability, then the other troops that wanted the, the Shadow Seer's buffs were too far away. Um, so that nine inches uh, to her auras was just absolutely crucial. Um, and it also helps a little bit with being able to smite from a bit further, but Twilight Pathways is a pretty short psychic power. Uh, that's the move twice. So uh, the extra bit of range for that was really helpful as well. Right. And do you find like that makes a difference just because you let your uh, Shadows here keep up to cast the spell after your units advance maybe? Or is it specifically because you want to uh, keep your Shadows here a little bit safer after it's done casting? Or is it the deny range you're trying to avoid? It's definitely, definitely about the aura, first and foremost. The rest was just helpful. So we've all been there when we advance a Harlequin Skyweaver unit. We start to measure out 22, and we're really excited about how far it's going to get until you realize that you're going to need to keep it within range for the shadows here. So it definitely helped on occasion or two. Um, But more so, it was just people did not get to shoot my troops without going through the debuffs. Right. No, I like that a lot. And kind of, I think there's a bit of a design choice there too. Like I don't mind my shadow seer getting into dangerous positions because I can fix it with Domino Shroud later. So I can make sure I get my buffs when I need them and fix it. Whereas your approach is I can just keep my shadow seer a bit safer and make sure everyone's covered. It's, it's exactly that. You know, she, she was going nowhere. She's, she's not doing any fighting. She's five points for me. She was staying at the back and, you know, staying as safe as she could. Yeah, you're not you're not gambling with what we stand we fight. I get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other relic we I think we already talked about, so Twilight Fang, uh just an absolute monster close combat weapon. Obviously makes yeah, that shadow like my seat. favorite Harlequin just, of all the Just a murder maker. Oh, it's just just insane, isn't it? And yeah. You wanna again, just break us down uh, exactly how Fang Master does Master oh, things. He's absolutely key. And I don't, I don't know if you're going to ask me in a bit, but if, if I changed anything about the list, I would think about a second troop master because they're just force multipliers. So if, if we all remember to the start of eighth and, you know, how much work Doom was doing, you know, and all the vitriol Elder got because of Doom, especially when it, they were able to use it across Dark Elder and Harlequins as well, the troop master is basically Doom for Harlequins. So uh, he gives them reroll wounds, full reroll wounds, basically on all their close combat attacks, which is just absolutely insane. So that was what he was there for. First and foremost is getting his aura in range. That was what's most important. And if you're playing Harlequins, be careful to not be greedy because he is such a beat stick. And if you're only running one troop master, that it is so tempting to just always get him in there, get him into the mix. But if you can keep him alive and keep him buffing the 30 or 40 Harlequins that you've got, he's doing a much better job. But when he does need to get in there, boy, does he get in there. You know? So he starts with five attacks base. He's going to get plus one for charging if he charges. And then he's going to get from turn one, one extra attack for whatever turn it is, which is absolutely mad. So even in turn one, not that he ever got in on turn one, you're looking at something with seven attacks by turn two, eight, so on and so forth. So he goes in there, strength five, AP minus three, a damage two weapon, which rerolls all wounds. He's hitting on twos. And then on top, when he's done doing that, and when you've finished kind of suffering the, the pain from that, you get two mortal wounds as well. Um, so One of my favorite tricks there is like, if I have two characters next to each other, I'll put seven or eight attacks, whatever my number is, into one, and one attack into the other, and just, oop, two mortal wounds, I finished off that guy. Exactly that exactly that so um just so so efficient you know fight twice all of a sudden you're talking about four mortal wounds and all the damage you know 
Um, people, people is he something you would often fight twice with? Usually, I imagine you're spending it on like a large troop unit. Mm, it depends. It depends what what I'm fighting into. Uh, I'll, <laughs> you'll hate me for it, but I'll just do the maths and see whether the mortal <laughs> wounds are going to be better than everything else. It depends what buffs, but it's just the threat that 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 proposes. You know, like uh, yeah, and people don't expect like people expect Smash captains to fight twice, but they don't see little Harlequin elf people running amok like that, and then. That's just not something people are ready for. Totally. I mean, you know, people leave this, you know, oh, let me just leave this Plaguebush Crawler at the back because it's going to be safe sitting on this objective. And then, you know, you just get this little little troop master go and deal with it and, you know, take it. And that was another really key thing. Like, was basically, the, the list was designed as, I always went, did the damage, and then I was sitting on your objectives. So you couldn't concentrate on my backfield because I was sitting on your objectives with obsec troops. So, um that 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 kind of played out the whole way like something a bit mad happened if you watched my games a lot of people kept coming over to my games towards the end being like oh it looks a bit close and obviously they're, they're all really respectful so they don't want to ask you how's it going and in truth i was 30 points 40 points ahead but my army was getting beat up you know like uh, there wasn't many games i came through well in terms of the amount of things i had left on the table uh, mostly it was my characters alive at the end of the game um, but I just scored so heavily because I'd scored 15s on the primary. I denied my opponents the whole way. Um, and it meant I actually scored over 90, um, every single game. So I ended up with an average of, of 94, I think it was, which is just absolutely insane. Harlequin's ability to score is, uh, unparalleled, honestly, you know, yeah, we, we, really, that is their biggest strength, their ability to just mess with the scoreboard. Totally. So we know, we all know about kind of the, the, the efficiency and the damage of, of space Marines, but uh, this is the Harlequin's ability to deny and guarantee their own scores. So even even when my opponent scored their primary, I'd scored it too. They 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 were ne- I was never in threat of losing a primary uh, battle. And of course, when you marry that with what we talked about in terms of having fairly guaranteed secondaries, it just made it really difficult for my opponents to deal with. Right now, out of curiosity, you mentioned uh, I guess ideas to change the list as a second troop master. I personally will start with one troop master because like one's all you need. Same theory that everyone has. Let's say the points. And then, no, no, you take two. It'll change your life. That's my advice. But <laughs> um, was there anything else you want to make some changes? We we have, it would be sacrilege not to talk about your lack of solitaire on this podcast. So oh that my one also. God. Leave the solitaire at home. For the record, I am 100% with you, but this is your show. <laughs> <laughs> Leave him at home. The solitaire does one thing. He helps you win when you're already going to win. So uh, obviously, colloquially, we we call, we know him as a win more character. All right. So uh, if you're in a matchup that you were already doing well in, then he's going to go and put the nail in the coffin. If you need to scrap and you need to just pull it out the bag, the solitaire is not there for you because he goes in often by himself. So he's so quick, which is such obviously a benefit, but he's often nowhere nearby the buffs that he needs. And he goes in with an AP minus one weapon. The threatening weapon, anyway, is AP minus one. And that's a problem. That's a big problem. And then you take his relic because you think damage three is really cool. And and rerolls to wound because you're, as you said, not near your troop master. Totally. And you're excited for that. And then you charge something that's not infantry and you reread the rule. <laughs> <laughs> the actual thing that happens. Literally can confirm. And then you get very upset about why you're not doing what you need to do. 
So what's uh, the rule say? Just out of curiosity. It's only against infantry that he gets those buffs. So so he's only damaged three and re-rolling wounds into infantry. I, I may be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I believe he uh, gets... I think he gets one of them against everything. I forget if it's he rerolls wounds against everything and his damage three only against infantry, if it's vice versa, but he doesn't do the work against not infantry. He, he, he does not. So I, I didn't want anything in my list that, that was doing that. And I promise, I promise every Harlequin player out there, I tried him. I've tried him a lot. You know, he's such a cool model. Yeah, we're not, we're not saying Solitaire doesn't make sense on paper. He does make sense on paper. We're saying we tried him. Exactly that. You just... It is hard to explain as well because you're like this guy. This guy can do some damage. He's going to blitz. He's going to move loads. He's going to do loads of attacks. I think he- it's it's as you said. Like he's either helping you win more because he's killing characters that like, you know, that's that's useful. Killing characters is good. But when you're relying on the solitaire to get something done, he's not a reliable kind of guy. You, I've sent him into like Corsaro Khan, and it's like all right, infantry, six wounds. Three up armor, four up invul. The perfect model for the solitaire to try to kill. I kill you in two shots. No extra waste of damage. No seventh wound to piss me off. Three up armor, four up invul. Perfect. I'm AP minus one. Infantry, right word. All right, we're good to go. And then he runs in there. He's like, take six saves. And Khan's like, I passed four. I'm going to use a CP reroll. I lived. And it's like, well, I just and then you did. Uh, tried and it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the thing that was really the nail in the coffin for him was that the troop master came and said, let me show you how it's done. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was really, because that was the only option for Harlequins to really take a beats to character was a solitaire. And now you have another one. It's like, you could take both, but then you're not taking things like the Shadow Storm or Domino Shroud or any of those tech relics. You, you could afford three relics, but I, I, as a Harlequin player, you cannot afford three relics. You've hit a nail on the head there. But yeah. he, he can't be there without the Rose, and the Rose is going to cost you and I just, you know, wax lyrical about how important it was to take uh, the Shadow Stone on the um, on the Shadow Seer. So uh, he's out uh, again. A lot of people tell me about Hero's Path. I love Hero's Path. Yes, let's go score some points. You're not doing that against good players. I promise you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yep, <laughs> they're not letting you have that. You know, uh, you're not going to go round five of a tournament and. <laughs> It's tough playing Harlequins because a lot of their, like if you're practicing Harlequins against your buddies and then going to RTTs that don't really know how Harlequins work and then you're getting ready for like a big major with all the big names for it, you gotta, you gotta be self-critical and honest with yourself about how much of my games am I winning because my opponent didn't know my rules and didn't really respect what my army could do and how much am I winning because my army is actually good. Because Harlequins, a lot of their victory can come from inexperience on the opponent's side or disrespect from the opponent's side or anything like that. And you need to understand that at the highest level, your opponent's going to know your army as well as you do. Uh, you've yeah, nailed that. And this is something we've seen pretty much across the board in the last couple of months where, where Harlequins have started to shine in tournament play. Um, very few Harlequin lists that are performing have that solitaire in there. Like Malik is not alone. If we look at the Hanseatic Open recently, two Harlequin players top that when undefeated no solitaires in sight. Like this is, this is something that's being proven across the board where sure. It's an awesome model. Like you guys said, it can put in work, but it's a win more model. And when you need to be like tight and you need to play to that mission, he's not there for you. That's exactly it. Paint him nicely. 
Leave him in the cabinet. He was like the first Harlequin I painted because, of course, I'm going to use a solitaire in every game. Ah, uh, he had, he had yeah. uh, you know, I'll show you a bit of my age now, but like he used to have some funky rules when there was that little kind of uh, Harlequin supplement back in second or third edition that you could download. Uh, yeah, he was he was the bomb back there, but sadly, not 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 for now. I do want to uh, bring us back a little bit. Um, was there any other changes you were considering making to your list? Yeah, totally. So, um, it, and we'll talk matchups, but I was thinking whether the kind of mortal wound bomb was droppable. Um, and if it's droppable, then the 20 man guardians are droppable. And basically I can go to a full Harlequin list. So more CP and more troops because actually, you know, I was scoring so efficiently, you know, I could have dropped 10 points every game and I still have won all my games. So, there is the thought to just go to full Harlequins, which is even more damaging, even more threatening. So if I drop the whole Eldar bit entirely, then I would just put more troops in and a second troop master. Um, but that's that's about it, to be honest with you. Um, I tried and I playtested a little bit of a mix. One thing I, I struggle with when building the mono Harlequin battalion, just like all my battalion, all my command points, put all of them in Harlequins, is I run out of stuff to take. Like I fill my slots... And I have like two units. It's just troops and bikes, and that's it. And then the characters, oh. of course. Oh, is that something this list runs into? If, if you continue down that route, or is that not a problem for this army? No, you've you've hit the nail on the head. So I don't want a third Skyweaver unit. Two is enough. I I don't expect to play on any board that is going to be kind enough to allow me to hide fifteen jet bikes. Uh, so I don't want a third, and then I don't want more then, you know, in an ideal world, six units of nine Harlequins. So I've obviously dropped down to nine, you know, in the way I built my list, obviously skimming away here and there. So, But I just watched nine units do everything I wanted. Not once did I think I want the 10th or the 11th or the 12th. So in essence, you know, uh, 54 Harlequins is all I'm ever going to want. Um, but I actually think I ran out of, um, I ran out of HQs because what, what I really want to do is get, two troop masters, a shadow sea, and then Ivrain in there. Uh, and if I could have that, then, then I'd be tempted, but I don't want to do that. And then on top of that drop CP. Um, but I don't think the extra death jesters are worth it. Um, I said, we've already talked to death about the solitaire. So, but I, I definitely think there is a list in there with kind of 54 Harlequins, uh, like three, six units nine. Yeah, exactly. Six units. Also, nine. Why, why nine and not that 10th? You're just like coming just, here. I just started that way because I had to skim points to fit what I wanted in. Like I, when I build lists, I kind of decide what I want and then skim back and try and keep as much of an essence. So actually, if I was being really honest, I wanted four nine man units, but right at the last minute, because I wanted to try and keep the the, the platforms on the guardian bomb, um, that's why I kind of downgraded one of the seven man units. So you might think it's <laughs> the most genius piece of tech out there, but it's just process of it's elimination. Just pennies. <laughs> <laughs> um, Love it. So yeah, that's kind of where I'd go to. Um, the one thing I'd say is the platforms never paid off for me. 
Um, so I was kind of hoping... tanking models because that's really what they're there for, right? Just soaking. One hundred percent, especially with the change in in cover rules, which is a bit of madness. So um, I was kind of hoping I'd be able to tank a little bit through, you know, a two up save if they were sat on some cover. Uh, but it never quite played out that way because they were always mid board with the characters doing what they were designed to do. Um, I often so- find they might have been ancillary benefit to you and this is more like theory land i find like when i take a guardian blob and don't put cannons in or only take one cannon it does get like focused down a bit or chipped away at because there's no two up saves there um when i do take the cannons they last so much longer because my opponent might often just ignore them because they don't want to deal with the two up saves it's too much work so i agree however i don't think there's any ap nothing left in the meta that's potentially very fair yeah so uh, I think back in the day when you were facing against opposing scatter bikes or Punisher cannons coming off of a uh, an Imperial Guard tank commander, then yes. But these days everything has AP because of obviously Marines got given their doctrines and you know they you got, not yeah, shooting you with anything. You but doctrines and you got to take AP to kill Marines. Exactly that. So um, that's where I think they've lost a lot of their efficiency. The one the one thing actually they, that they did help me with was just having a little tiny bit of range so that you can just afford to leave some absolute rubbish chaff sitting in a backfield objective. Um, because I had obviously 27 inch, I think, uh, because of the extra range um, shuriken cannons. So um, that helped just a tiny bit. So people couldn't leave four servitors, for example, which is a nice little bit of tech that has snuck into uh, kind of space marine lists whilst they, you know, help take their relic contemptors and whatnot. Um, you couldn't do that. So um, a little bit of help, but I would probably drop the two the two platforms just to give me back my um, my Harlequins on my fourth nine man unit. And I think I think I'll, I'll redo the points one there. I think it also unlocks the fusion pistol on my troop master again. Uh, which That's is just a neat, neat, neat little mm-hmm. bit of tech, you know, because um, people just forget about it, <laughs> and then I've killed, I've killed a fair bit of stuff with a random handing on two plus fusion pistol. That's that's the, that's the deal, and there's a little bit as well of you know, sometimes he's he's stuck in combat, um, and because he's there with his troops, right, and people have to focus the troops because you can't leave a nine man troop unit. Uh, and somehow they think, you know, they can live with the troop master and all of a sudden he gets to sneak in a shot in and that kind of stuff. People forget that, you know, we can fall back and shoot. So yeah, um, that's probably the change I would make. Um, but the one thing I'd say, and uh, you know, uh, I think every top player does this. So, uh, forgive me, forgive it for any offense, of course, but you know, you need to decide whether that army can play depending on the tournament you're going to. Uh, you know, if I was going to a tournament where I was expecting very light tables or scenery, then I don't think I would play the same list. I'm not saying I wouldn't play Harlequins, but for example, I don't think that the jet bikes can play if you're going to a tournament where people are going to be able to shoot in turn one. You know, I was pretty reliably able to hide my jet bikes from everything other than ignore loss shoot in turn one uh, because I was playing at kind of an L-shaped type competitive tournament so um i think you know pick pick your your army composition depending on the tournament you're going to and also depending on you know who you think you're going to play there um it's i'm a big advocate of, of tailoring in that way uh because it's the only way you're going to win big tournaments you know um if you've got a really good player and you know that they're going to be using uh custodes then you need to have an answer to it because the likelihood is you're going to have to go through him to win the tournament so that's my bit of advice as well don't get too stuck on what the meta list is because it really depends on your local meta and the tournament you're attending. 
And that is a really great bit of advice, I think, to kind of end this section of the podcast. Uh, folks, if you're listening right now, uh, we do do these in two parts. So if you are an Art of War member, stand by, stand close, because you're about to get uh, some real nitty-gritty stuff coming from Malik on uh, custom matchups and ideas in a more in-depth, strategic way. Um, but if you're not, sign up, guys. Come on. What are you doing? What are you doing? Get into this. Listen to these beautiful men talk as in-depth as you can get about their factions. I've got nothing more to say about it. What about you, Nick? No, nah, Alec, you were a pleasure to talk to you. Really sound ideas and great work winning with a really unique Arlequin and Elder list. I think a lot of people are down on not Space Marines these days, and you're bringing up the hope right now, and I appreciate it. One of the good guys out there. So, um, like uh, Mr. Falcon was saying, thank you again for coming on, Mr. Falcon. You were great also as an interviewer, but... um. We will see you over in episode two, where Malik is going to talk about all the tactics he uses to beat up the big bad boogeymen that are the Imperium uh, with his Harlequins and Eldar. Thanks for watching, everybody. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect, connect. on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.